continue to plow our way through the book of James. And uh, the other, last week I um, did a little short little devotional in our, our Bible study at our house with, when we meet with the young adults. And I made a little graphic that I, I think kind of summarizes the um, message of James. And, and it's this, uh, uh, what we talked about last week, true, food, true faith produces works of love and mercy. So true faith produces works of love and mercy. Uh, you can't just have faith. You can't just have acts of love and mercy. It has to be true faith. And from true faith, we have works of love and mercy. And then as James is reminding us, um, love and mercy, the acts of love and mercy, what they do is they confirm our faith. They help us know that indeed that they are true. And it's even more than that. It becomes a witness. It's a witness to the world, these acts of love and mercy. But for us in particular, it's a confirmation because a lot of people can do good acts. They can do kind things. They can do acts of helping other people. But the question is, do we know if it comes from true faith or not? Well, today we're going to um, go into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, there's um, a lot of people, they, they kind of take chapter 3 apart. And I'm not sure why they, they do that. It seems really clear to me at least, that chapter 3 is meant to be held together. And so they'll usually like talk about the first verse as one part where, um, where James talks about teachers. And then they'll treat the rest of it as though James is just talking about the tongue. But in fact, I think the whole chapter is about teachers first and secondarily about the tongue. And we, we have this kind of interesting relationship um, with what we think of teachers. Um, I, I pulled some quotes from, um, you know, just from the internet about different famous quotes. And, and you'll have things like where people say, teachers affect eternity. And this isn't like a Christian, you know, quote. This is just someone saying teachers affect eternity because they, you know, invest in the students and the students, um, you know, then go and live and many of them will teach and pass down. So they affect eternity. Another person had written, teachers, I believe, are the most responsible and important members of society. Again, these weren't written by the uh, uh, National Educators Association or the Hawaii um, Public School Union. These are actually different quotes that I found. Um, the other one is, the role of the teacher remains the highest calling of a free people. And, and some of you, you know, you, you can think like that. You, you, you know teachers. Maybe you, you are a teacher. Or, or you can think of influential people who've, who've taught you. But then we have this other view. George Bernard Shaw wrote, he who can does, he who cannot teaches. And there's a certain attitude among a lot of people that says, you know, um, that teaching is, is for people that don't really know how to do anything, but they can, they can tell other people about it. You know, there's sometimes even in, in, in Hawaii, like we so value education in Hawaii, and yet there's much more celebration if our child decides to become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer as opposed to a teacher. It's almost like they settled, you know, to be a teacher. 
And there's this sense that, oh, anyone can teach. And so we have this like kind of weird relationship in like, which one is true? Well, if you just look economically, uh, George Bernard Shaw's quote is, is much truer because we don't pay teachers nearly what we pay other people in our society. Um, you know, people who don't necessarily contribute a whole lot other than perhaps entertainment uh, to us. But which one is true? I, I think that, you know, what's happening in our society is that, is that a lot of people, they know the importance of learning. Like they understand we all have to learn that, that none of us was, is born with just preloaded knowledge. That there has to be learning and there has to be um, teaching that takes place. And the teaching is going to come in, in various forms. But for whatever reason, whether it's, whether it's like the residual, like, um, you know, when you were a rebellious teenager and, you know, you were against all authority figures, including teachers, whether you just carried that into your adulthood and it's, it's kind of latent there, even though you, you know, you, know you, you might not on the surface feel that way. But for whatever reason, we have this sometimes not negative view of teachers. We just don't really value them even though we, have, we value highly what they do. And I think, a lot of, um, I think a lot of parents are realizing some things, you know, as they're having to take more of a role in their, in their child's education. Now that, you know, you have the shutdown of the schools and you have, you know, teachers who are doing stuff online, but, you know, they're not spending eight hours a day with your wonderful, precious gift from God. You know, you are. You're spending eight or nine hours a day with your wonderful, precious gift from God. And, and so maybe some people today appreciate teachers a lot more just for the fact that they're with your wonderful, precious gift from God. And so we, we, we seem to kind of value that, that, that it's, it's not simply like you say something, people hear it, they learn it. That there's much more involved in education. There's much more involved in the, in the skill of teaching. Well, James is not really talking about teaching in general. Of course, they had a completely different education system um, in, in his day. In fact, women largely were not in, formally educated at all. It was primarily men. And, and James is writing to a, a, a first century Jewish culture where um, in, in that time, it's, it's only, not, not even all the men are going to be educated. And so he, it's, it's a different system for sure. And teachers, I think, were in some sense, especially in the Jewish community, were very highly revered, especially teachers of the Word of God, because they, they understood how important the Word of God was to their lives, to their culture, to their future, to everything. And so teachers did have some reverence and, and James is talking specifically now about teachers in the church. Remember, he's, he's talking to first century church, first generation church that's largely uh, come out of, um, you know, they're, they're from the Jewish culture. And so he's, he's trying to help them understand the importance of, of teaching 
Not that they don't understand it. I think they do understand it. In fact, I think something had happened where before, if they were still in, in Judaism, you know, if you really wanted to be a teacher, um, you had to be one of two things. You either had to be, you know, uh, someone who really went through all the training to be able to teach in the synagogues, or you had to be like Jesus, where Jesus just had the audacity to just get up and start reading the word and teaching in scripture and did it in such an incredible way that no one tried to stop him. They, in fact, would marvel like, he doesn't teach like the rest of us. And they weren't criticizing him for it. So before Christianity, you know, for the normal ones of us, the ones who aren't Jesus, it would have taken, you know, a lot of work. You might have even had to have been born in the right situation, in the right family to even have opportunity to become a teacher. And then Christianity comes along. And Christianity's different because now you got guys like Peter. Peter has no formal training. He's out there. He's one of the leaders of the church. You know, you got John. You got, you know, all these other people that that didn't have formal training, would not have had a voice in the synagogues, and now they can, they can teach the word. And so on one hand, they, they, they understand the value of it. And it's only natural that certain people would have been attracted to, to doing that, to, to that position. Like, oh, look, you know, anybody can teach. We can just, you know, show up, and we don't have to go through all the rigmarole that everybody else had to go through when we were in Judaism. And so even though on one hand they value it, they don't value it enough to take it seriously enough to prepare to do what they need to do, to prepare to actually teach. And so James writes this. He says, in James chapter 3, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So what is James doing here? Again, a lot of people think after verse 1 that he's not talking about teachers anymore. He's only talking about teachers in verse 1. And part of the reason is when you get to verse 5, he says, so also the tongue is a small member. So they think, oh, this is about the tongue, and he only like threw that verse at the beginning on teaching. And that's really not true. Here, James is, is affirming. He's affirming the, the power of the teacher, the power of the teacher in the church. And he says, it's, it's like the rudder of a ship. He says, it's like the bit it's like the bit in the mouth of a horse. And he might even be talking about a chariot there. 
But you notice what he doesn't mention? He mentions a rudder and he mentions a bit. But he doesn't mention, when, with the bit, he doesn't mention at all who's driving. With the ship, he says, pilot. But he's comparing the teacher not to the pilot. He's comparing the teacher to the rudder. He's comparing the teacher to the bit, not the person driving the chariot. It's really important to keep in mind because he's not saying, teachers, you have power, you can control the church, you can take the church wherever you want, wherever you think fit. No, he puts that at the very end. Whatever the will of the pilot directs. He's saying you do have great influence, but you also have great responsibility that you are only teaching what the pilot directs. He doesn't really finish the, the first word picture he uses of the bit and the horse, but he would have said the same thing. You're not driving the chariot. You are the bit. You're the bridle. You're the part that, that the driver uses to control the direction of the horse. And he's saying, teachers, you have this incredibly important role, but you're not the pilot. And that's kind of, it's kind of one of the sad things that's happened in, in, the, in the church, especially in churches like ours, where a lot of times if you, if you want to be a teacher in a, in a Baptist church, you only have to have one qualification. Do you know what it is? You have to be willing. You, that's it. You just have to say, hey, I'd like to teach. And I can almost guarantee you, you will find a, a dozen Baptist churches that will say like, oh, great, come teach. You just have to be willing. And what happens is a, a lot of times is, is the teacher is not intentionally saying, I'm going to teach so I can do all these things. But if the teacher hasn't actually learned to discern the will of the pilot, what exactly is the teacher teaching? You get lucky sometimes. You know, I'm so glad that, again, before I really understood how to even study the Bible the way that I do now, which I still don't think is, is in any way like, perfect, but I, I, I know way more than I did when I was younger. But I'm, I'm so glad that somehow, you know, I didn't, teach such terrible things or fall into just so caught up in my own opinion of things. But that's, that's just lucky. <laughs> it wasn't because, you know, I knew. If you don't believe in luck, then you can say, that was God, <laughs> you know, keeping me from being overly stupid. So, there, 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 but it wasn't because I was like, really thinking about this. That if I was going to step up and teach, was I willing to not just 
accept the authority that came with that, but was I willing to accept the responsibility of knowing the will of the pilot? Because if I wasn't going to put in the time to know the will of the pilot, what exactly was I going to be teaching? And unless I just got lucky and said the will of the pilot, the only other thing I could be teaching is just my own thoughts, not the Word of God. That's what he's trying to tell us here. He's saying, teachers, he's saying, teachers, you, you have such an incredibly important role in the church. And you, in a sense, it's like he doesn't use this picture, but it's kind of the picture of a bridge. Like you're helping people look at the word of God, study the word of God, understand the word of God so you can communicate the will of the pilot to the rest of the church. And when you do, guess what? Just like if a rudder is functioning properly, then the pilot knows where he's going. Guess what? You're going you're gonna to get to where you, where you need to be. And we know in, in, in our situation, the pilot always knows where he's going. Jesus always knows where he's going. So the only thing that could be broken is the rudder. So if you make sure the rudder's not broken, you will always be following the will of the pilot, the path that's set by Jesus. And I think we need to remember this, that it's the will of the pilot. These aren't just words. They're not just stories. These are the very words of life, eternal life. And we so casually, you know, treat them sometimes as, as teachers in, 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 in the church or sometimes maybe you don't have a teaching position, but, but you know, somebody may look to you and ask you questions. And we can so casually dispense information about what God wants or who God is. Have we really taken the time to study and discern. We can so easily comment on all kinds of things that are happening in our society. We can so easily say who's right and who's wrong and speak as though we're speaking for God. Are we willing to take the time? Hey, if it's just your opinion, just make sure you clarify it's your opinion. But if you think that you're communicating what the Bible says about whatever the issue is, whether it's about, you know, these protests, whether it's about, you know, politics, whether it's about anything, if you are saying that this is what the Bible dictates, this is what the pilot is directing, you need to be careful. You need to take the time to really study God's word, to really study the will of the pilot before you speak. Unfortunately, speaking and commenting to large audiences has become easier than it ever has before. And, you know, you can just go on, you know, you name the social media. 
And you have access to thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and even in some situations millions of people. Fine. You want to state your opinion? State your opinion. But when you start saying what the Bible says, what God says, are you just repeating what other people have told you? Are you just thinking about it really hard and thinking this must be what God wants? Or are you willing to put in the work to study God's word, to seek his face, and only communicate the will of the pilot? Well, James has no way of anticipating the world we live in. He's just talking about the church. And he's even saying in the church setting, don't aspire to be a teacher because you think like, oh, it's a position of influence and yeah, we don't have to go through all the formal education like, like we did in Judaism. No. In fact, it's harder now. Because if you're trying to know the will of the pilot completely on your own without having the help of a, of a school or a teacher or somebody else to help you, it's going to be a lot harder. And that was never the design for the church. The church was never designed that, that just individuals would just pop up and on their own, you know, prepare themselves and train themselves so that they could become teachers. That was never the design of the church. Paul writes, writes to Timothy, and you know, Paul's a, when he's writing to Timothy, he's about to die. And he's pretty sure this time he's going to die. He's thought he's going to die several times in his life, but this time he's pretty sure, and it's, you know, history tells us he was probably right here. And one of the things he tells Timothy in this letter, he says, he says, I want you to take what I've taught you and I want you to find faithful people in the church that you can teach that you know will then go and teach others who will teach others. This is always meant to be something that, that we did here in the church, that, that we, we passed on the teaching, we passed on the word, and that would be passed on generation to generation. And his Jewish Christian audience, they knew this. They knew this goes back all the way to the books of the law, where in Deuteronomy it talks about there it says, you know, you need to teach these words to your children. Parents, you need to teach these words to your children. You know, it wasn't, hey, you know, wait for the six or seven festivals we have a year. No, you teach these to your children. It was, it was, al it was always the plan. This gets passed down in multiple ways, generation to generation. The will of the pilot. Well, this second section, it says, so also the tongue is a small member. And again, people immediately think he's changing subjects. And he's not. He's, he's still on topic. He's still talking about what it means to be a teacher. But make no mistake, he's also talking about the tongue. He says, it's a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. Well, before we talk about the tongue and everybody immediately starts thinking about stuff like gossip and slander and, you know, they think about the telephone game and, you know, I'm, when you pass, you say something to somebody and they say to somebody and it gets all distorted, that's not what James is talking about. I'm pretty sure James didn't even know that game. He might have, but I'm pretty sure he didn't. He's talking about teachers. Teacher's primary way of communicating is the tongue. And what does he say? He says, your tongue has potential to do damage, much damage. On one hand, you have been given this responsibility of, of communicating the will of the pilot. But you're going to be held to a greater strictness because the thing that you're using is your tongue. And the tongue no man can tame. When he's talking about tongue, he's obviously not talking about that thing in your mouth. He's not even just talking about the words that come out of your mouth. He's going to later unpack this for us, but he's talking about actually who you are, what's in your heart, what's in your mind. He's talking about those things that come out of your mouth. Teachers in a church, they have the potential to do so much damage. He talks, he, you know, he says it's like a wildfire, like a fire that's forest fire that's out of control. Never been around one, don't really want to be around one. But from what I understand, they are, it's almost like the forest fire has a mind of its own. It's he compares it to, to, to poison, a deadly poison. See, one of the reasons that we want to be able to, to, to speak the will of the pilot is because we know for sure the will of the pilot, those are words of truth. Those are words of life. Those are words that sustain those are words that help us to live an abundant life. Those are words that give us peace and patience. But if I don't speak those words and I speak my words, well, there's only two possibilities here. One is my words are just going to be bleh. They're just useless. They're, you know, it's like if, if you told me like, oh, I, I think I have COVID. And I'd be like, you know what? Um, you know, I'm a doctor, and I am, by the way. I said, I'm a doctor, and, I, and I'm going to mix together some stuff to give to you. And I'm pretty sure it'll take care of you. Well, if no matter what I put in there, it's not going to take care of you. So it could only do one of two things. It could just be water and honey, and, and you drink it, and you go, wow, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty nice. And, of course, it doesn't help you. But it felt good for a little while. 
Or I could put together things that will actually hurt you. Right? Only way I know for sure, if I was a teacher, that my words are words of life is if I'm speaking the words of the pilot, the will of the pilot. Otherwise, it's like poison. Otherwise, it's, it's like a forest fire that's out of control. Because if I give the wrong teaching here, then you could think that it's the right teaching. And then you are going to teach others. Or you're going to tell others. Or you're going to say, oh, you got to watch the sermon pastor preached. And, and you know, it was really good. And, and it's going to spread. It's going to spread like wildfire. But maybe you're a little sharper. Maybe you realize, like, that doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound right. And maybe you personally don't, don't get it. But maybe someone else says, no, 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 I think that's right. You see, this is what happened to the early church a lot of times. A false teacher would come in, and there would be a group that would say, like, false teacher, sounds good. Sounds right. And it would cause division. So much destruction can come from the teacher who has the uncontrolled tongue. He even has that phrase there where he says, you know, it's the tongue will stain the whole body. And we don't have enough of James's writings to know if James referred to the church as the body of Christ like Paul does. But even if he doesn't, it's, it's the, the, the image is still there. This, this little member of the body can do so much damage. By the way, those of you who are gossips, who think like, phew, I thought this was going to be about me today. He's talking about teachers. You're still wrong too, okay? Just, just because the Bible verses aren't focusing on gossips today, it's still wrong. There's enough places in the Bible to say that it's wrong. And the word picture he's giving is still applicable. You start rumors. You start, you know, talking negatively about people unnecessarily without any desire to help them. You are only hurting the church. It's still there. It's just not what James's main focus is. And his point is that you know, with this wild beast is that we can tame beasts, but we can't tame the tongue. You see, the only way our tongue is tamed, the only way our tongue, which is connected to our hearts and minds, is tamed, hopefully you see where I'm going here, is if Jesus Christ tames it. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and he's really changed you. The only hope you have of controlling what comes out of your mouth, which reflects what's in your heart and your mind, is if Christ does the taming. We have potential to do much damage. Just that alone, to me, should, should radically change how we approach studying the Word of God. 
I don't know why it doesn't grip us more. If we accept that as parents, we are the first and most important teachers to our children, that you would be so afraid of speaking poison to your children instead of truth that you would say, I want to know everything I can know. I would be, I would be besieged in my office with people saying, tell me more, tell me more. I don't ever want to say anything wrong. I see the danger. But we, we don't do it for whatever reason. We don't think that we can speak poison into our children's lives. So many people who want to be teachers in the church, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, no, you know, I can just, you know, Saturday night, just, you know, read through the scripture, kind of think about some things and then, and then do it. Do, do you realize if you don't speak the very words of God, you could be speaking poison into your students' lives. You could be speaking poison into the church. If you have a pastor who cares about training you, you should say, Pastor, train me. No matter how much you know, you can be a better teacher. You can be a better student of God's word. Everybody can be. I can be. I constantly am trying to you know, study and understand more. Not just study and understand the Bible more. Study and understand how to study the Bible more. If we understood not just the influence we can have, the positive that we can do, but also the damage we could do, we would be desperate. We would be desperate to want to be prepared so that we would never, never speak poison. I don't know why. I don't know why we, we, we don't do this. I don't know why I didn't do this for years of my life. I just thought, it's good enough. You know, I can watch the UH football game on TV while I'm preparing my Bible study, no problem. You know, my brain is big enough. Really. I wasn't someone who really wanted to know, not until I got older, that I really want to know. We need to see both of these truths. In verse 9, he says, with it we bless our Lord. He's talking about our tongue. He says, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And James is just driving home this point that what comes out of our mouths reflects what is in our hearts. And that's true for all of us, by the way. True for all of us. That that. We, what we say and how we say it, it's reflecting something about who we are, something in, in our hearts. But for teachers, this is why you're held to a greater strictness. For teachers, you've had time to prepare. You've had time to pray. You've had time. It's not just in the heat of the moment, somebody says something, you say something. No, you've prepared. And this is what's coming out of your heart. Even more so. 
And James is like, it can't be. Because James is, is, again, he's making this connection. He's saying, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have true faith, you have been changed. And if you've been changed, then what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of your mouth should reflect that change. Now, some of you might be going, well, then who can be teachers? Who can be teachers? This is, this is too much. You know, I want to resign. No, the, I remember, James doesn't talk about being perfect. It's, what James is saying is, where are you going? If you're a teacher, are you on the path to becoming a better teacher? Or have you decided to settle with wherever you are? He would say the same thing to all of us as, as believers in Christ. Have you, have you settled? I'm a good enough Christian. I know enough. I would like to know what enough is, by the way. Just wondering for a friend. What? I know enough. I don't have to push. I don't have to know more. I don't have to keep growing. He would say the same thing. It's not about that we're perfect. It's not that we have perfect knowledge, but that we're on the journey. We're on the path. We're seeking. We're growing. He says in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He's, he's given the two paths and he's, he's talking about like teachers. Teachers, if you're gonna teach, you have wisdom and you live that wisdom. Teachers live the wisdom that they teach. That's why they're held to a, a higher standard. They're held to a greater strictness, not because God will judge them di differently, not because when, you, when we all stand before the judgment, there's gonna be two lines. There's the line for the normal, regular Christian, and then the line for the teacher, no. You'll be held to a greater judgment because you are speaking the words of truth. You are speaking what the pilot says, the direction, and everybody else, all your students are watching. Because the first way they're going to know what, what you're saying looks like is what they see in your life. That's the first way. It's not going to look exactly the same in their lives, but the first thing they're going to see is that the other thing they're going to say is, they're going to say like, do you really believe this? Because if you really believe it, then that kind of gives more credence and makes me want to think like, I can believe it too. 
You're held to a greater strictness because people are looking to you as the example. And let me tell you, I know how hard that is. I think it's why we like church the way it is where, where you, you know, we only get to see each other for a little while during the week, maybe an hour or so, and you don't have to see me. I don't have to see you. You don't have to see how I treat everybody. You don't have to see like how I live out this. And so you can't really hold me to this, this greater judgment because you don't see it. Just hear me talk about it on Sunday. But he's saying you're held to this higher standard. If you go all the way back up to verse 2, he says, we all stumble. Nobody's perfect. We all stumble. He knows that. But you, teacher, you're held to a higher standard even though you will stumble. If I thought that I had to perfectly embody everything that God's word um, teaches before I could teach it, I would never teach because I know I stumble. As a matter of fact, if I'm honest, I, I'm stumbling. It's an ongoing process. It's not a, I stumbled yesterday and maybe tomorrow. No, it's like all the time. And that's what James is saying. We all do that. He's saying you can't teach this, no, no, do as I say, not as I do. And he talks about the, the negative, the downside of it. If you don't do this, it leads to selfish ambition. It leads to jealousy. It leads to division. But he talks about wisdom. And remember, James connects things by not connecting them. And if you remember wisdom all the way back from chapter 1, where did wisdom come from? Wisdom came not from, like, intellect. It wasn't just, you know, I, I just study. But it came from living. You couldn't have wisdom unless you prayed for it with steadfastness. And you couldn't have steadfastness unless you had a faith that was tested. If your goal in life is to have a safe, comfortable Christian life, you will never have wisdom because your faith will never be tested. It will always be in that safe, comfortable bubble that you think God wants you to live in. No, wisdom. Wisdom's outside the bubble. Wisdom comes when, when, when we live and we're not just living in theory. We're not just saying, yeah, this is, these are good ideas. No, we've lived these good ideas. Wisdom comes when, when we realize what we know compared to what we can know is so tiny that we're humble. He, he talks about the meekness of wisdom. He, it's, he, he's talking about wisdom that comes from you've got everything worked out in your brain and then your thoughts, your theory, your plans meet reality. The great theologian, also boxer, Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. You get that first punch, he was a boxer, and he said, everybody's got a plan on how to beat me until they get that first punch in the face. 
and then the plan kind of goes away because reality has met the plan. Wisdom comes from that. But make no mistake either, wisdom comes from this lived life, this lived faith, but he, he says, wisdom though is pure first. Purity that, that leads to peace. You know, part of the, the thing that's happening in our society today, it's kind of the outcome of our society, which is we need to listen to the younger people. We need to listen to the younger people. You do need to listen to younger people. But let me tell you, 99% of younger people don't have wisdom because they haven't lived. They haven't faced the trials of life. And if I'm offending all you young people, just know it's true. You have great theories, you have great ideas. Everybody in college knows how the world should run because they've never lived in the world. They've been taken care of their whole life and now they wanna tell everybody else who's had to live and fight for themselves and defend for themselves and support themselves, they wanna tell them all how to live. It's not to say your ideas are wrong. People told me when I was younger, you're an idealist. When you get older, you'll be less of an idealist. It's not true. I have become more of an idealist as, at 50 than I ever was at 18, 19, 20. But it's because I lived and I started to realize what true idealism is. The only idealism that actually will work and that actually offers us hope. But it's pure. Divine wisdom is pure. You cannot set aside holiness. You cannot say, oh, you know, we can, we, we can move on to these better things, but we're going to hold on to our selfish ambition. We're going to still hold on to that. No. He's saying, let it go. And here's the humbling thought for teachers. Teachers, you cannot make someone wise. You can teach them what you know, you can model for them, but you cannot make someone wise. James says, it's a wisdom that comes from above. It's a wisdom that comes from above. And James has already told us, it's, it's not just knowledge. It's a lived faith that transforms knowledge to wisdom and it burns it in our hearts. I don't think I'm the wisest person in the world, but I think I'm way wiser than the 25-year-old me. I've often said if the, if the current me, the 56-year-old me could get in a time machine and go back to visit the 25-year-old me, he would grab him by the collar and say, what are you thinking? Why are you wasting so much time? when there's so many things you can do and you can get ready for? Why are you so caught up in all these things that you think are so important that will not last? What are you thinking? I remember when I was 33, I went to seminary. I had two kids and another one was coming. You know, I was working, my wife was working, and I was 33, and I remember back when I was 23 and I was single, and somebody asked me, are you going to work on a master's? And I go, I have no time. 33-year-old me wanted to get in a time machine and go back and say, 
What do you mean you have no time? Do you want to do it now? 33, when you got to take care of your family? Work multiple jobs? What are you thinking? You can't teach someone to be wise. You can share with them wisdom, but if they're going to become wise, wisdom comes from above. That's why James says, count it all joy when you have trials because trials are how your faith is tested and it's going to lead not just to wisdom. As he says at the end of this verse, it's going to lead to righteousness. It's going to lead to peace. So we find this teaching on teachers is really a teaching for all of us. Because in a healthy church, if we're really a community of disciples, which we're supposed to be, if that's what a healthy church is, then we're all either being discipled, in other words, someone is teaching us, or we are discipling others, we're teaching others. In fact, one of the signs of of kind of arriving as a disciple is when you begin to teach. The power of teaching. Let's not just use this to appreciate our teachers, but to realize as as a healthy church, we've all been called in some way to teach. And we should only teach the will of the pilot. Amen.